0: The main Dublin Carlow Road is a busy one, traffic, thunders day and night. Tucked under this road, in a valley curving down to the bed of the River Grease, is the village of Ballytor. Here three centuries ago, two English Quakers established a small community. A school was established by Abraham Shackleton. His son Richard continued and expanded the school and moved to a house at Fuller's Court, on the edge of the village, where his daughter Mary was born.
1: I was born in the last month of the year, 1758. I suppose when about seven years of age, I began to remark the familiar shades under which I grew. The first abode on entering the village was that of old Abraham Shackleton, a man whose memory was long held in veneration. He was engaged by William Cooper of Cooper Hill and John Duckett of Duckett's Grove, who were both country gentlemen and Quakers as private tutor to their children. Sensible of his talents and worth, they encouraged him to open a boarding school, which he did in Tor on the 1st of the 3rd month, 1726, having previously prevailed on his beloved Margaret to become his wife.
0: Mary Shackleton was fascinated all her life by her village and its people, Quaker, Catholic or Church of Ireland. Students at her father's school came from as far away as Jamaica, Norway and France, and she formed lifelong friendships with them. But Balitor was always the centre of her attention. From the age of eight, she kept a diary and recorded the comings and goings of the villagers and her family's move in 1769 to Greasebank House.
1: On my father's succeeding to the small estate on which the mill now stands, my aunt Carleton removed to Greasebank, and we bade adieu to the old habitation of Fuller's Court and to the field where the little cow tidy grazed, and where Tom Eyre, Sam, and I planted our teeth when they dropped out, in the fond hope of some marvellous growth, such as had resulted from the successful experiments of Cadmus. Indeed, so little idea had I of the nature of vegetation, that I applauded my sagacity in secretly laying seeds of sweet pea in a hole in the floor by the parlour hearthstone anticipating my mother's agreeable surprise when she should see the flowers in bloom by her fireside, To Greasebank we went.
0: Greasebank was to be her home for nine years. There she began her serious writing, poetry, prose, dialogues. It's a large, friendly house, a house she never forgot. Her spirit seems to loiter there. Ellen Duggan and her husband bought the house recently, its first occupants in a long time.
2: We came along to view the house, and after um we stepped inside the door, I felt that it was quite a happy it had seen a lot of family life and had a great atmosphere and uh, even though it was a, quite a miserable evening the it had a air of warmth as if it had been much lived in in the past and Now that I have lived here and read so much of the poetry and history of this place, I feel that um i I feel that we we really it's a really happy place and Full of, um, unspiled, I suppose, by a lot of the modern. Being here on the bend of the road, it has an air of, of rural tranquillity, of something of the past.
0: The Duggins have restored the house to what it was.
2: This room we left until last to decorate. Um, we were completely fascinated with it from the very word, from the very first day. Um, first of all, because it had this lovely white marble fireplace and uh, these lovely alcoves which I think are most unusual I've never seen them anyplace else and this wonderful window which has a view right over the country also the unusual feature is that the, this is really the front door here with the steps going down to what hopefully will be our garden in the future now wh- um, when we started here in this room it was quite a lab- quite bad condition we had to replaster all these walls and put in a new ceiling and um, replace all the windows, replace all the panes in the windows. We didn't take from the architecture the, of the original. And um, then, of course, the usual job of uh, cleaning the white marble fireplace and papering and painting and, and uh, putting, on, putting in the furniture.
0: If Mary Shackleton's ghost is to be found anywhere around the house, it's most likely in the garden.
2: I think the snowdrops must be there from her day because last uh, winter, or early spring, the, the field out here at the back, which, is, which was gone completely wild, but every corner of it was just full of these beautiful white snowdrops. And I think they must be there from her day.
0: Mary loved Greasebank. She loved the garden and the orchard. But most of all, she loved the high Romanesque window on the landing. From it, she could see the river, the mill fields and the high road. She would spend hours seated at the window, watching the local people pass, noting the carriages travelling between Dublin and Carlow, taking in the neighbourhood. Mary's life was already concerned, consumed with her neighbours. Billy Kelly would have been a neighbour, had he lived then. He lives and breathes her life and writings.
3: He knows her intimately, back to her childhood. The the Carlow-Dublin road runs down to Greasebank, and uh, as she was a little girl her or her or her, her her pals used to run to the high road to see the to see the coaches go by and get a glimpse at the gentry. It would be going by in the coaches, and she would speak of the times that she would go across the 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 the, the pass from Greasebank here to Fuller's Court, because at the time there was no road from Greasebank to Ballytor. The only way they had of getting from um, to, from Grease bank to Ballytor was the aid of a path which they used to travel over and they used to they used to be terribly afraid of a pet fox that sarah fuller had over in fuller's court many is the time the the fox made a made a go at them but they used to avoid them and different characters they used to meet along the way and they used to speak of the lovely the lovely wildflowers which is along along by the banks of the Grease and the Mill Pond, the Cow Slips, the Mill Field, the Lime Kill Field and the Mill Park Field and Mount Blake, most of all those places she spoke about and those places she liked very well. Billy Kelly knows too of the Quaker influence on the village. Of course, the Quakers was very self-sufficient people. They, they looked after their own land, they ground their own garden, made her own clothes and Anton was done that actually hardly to buy anything and um, she taught a lot about Ballytor and was very proud of her little village she'd stroll around now and again to visit most of the the tenants or most of the people that lived in the town and she'd go in and have a chat with them and everything like that and the poor people then at the time when it come near the winter she'd come along and she'd get lengths of cloth, of material, and she'd get dresses and gowns and everything made for them. And Ballytor, during famine times and rebellion times, pulled through the whole lot of it, and I wouldn't say there was a hungry person in Ballytor.
0: Mary Shackleton wasn't always able to help, but she was always interested, and she had a fascination with death
1: one violently tempestuous night in the winter of this year the stage coach from dublin to cork was overturned at the sandy hill and two of the passengers were killed one of these was a young woman who was engaged to be married to a gentleman in waterford he was lying ill of fever and requested to see her and she was hastening to him when arrested by the hand of death her intended husband from whom the event was concealed expected her coming with great anxiety, and wondered at her delay. He died of the fever. Let us hope they were united in heaven. I did not see the body. I could not bear it. But I heard of her beauty, her elegant dress, her slender form, and her long fair hair, so lovely in death. In
0: 1778, Mary's brother married and took his wife to the house at Greasebank. The rest of the family moved to The Retreat, a fine house close to the village square.
1: My parents and their three daughters were now settled at The Retreat, a pleasant mansion. My mother delighted in her garden, which she kept in neat order. Her collection of exotics was curious and afforded much variety. She had no greenhouse, but kept those tender plants in the house, and the soft perfume of some of them was very grateful.
3: For all the flowers they had at the time, they kept a huge amount of flowers and never had a greenhouse at the retreat. They kept most of them inside in small little rooms and which they would have properly ventilated and everything like that. But every room, again, now in the retreat, every room had a name, different names for different rooms. In
0: 1784, Mary travelled with her father to London for Quaker Yearly Meeting. While there, she met again Edmund Burke, who had been educated at Ballytor School. She met too the poet Crabbe and the painter Reynolds. From London, she went to Yorkshire to visit her cousins. She found life in the north of England backward compared even to Ballytor. On her return to the retreat, she renewed acquaintance with William Ledbetter, a past pupil of her father's school. He had bought land in the area and in 1791 they were married and moved to a house in the village square, close to the tanyard.
3: Now, we're going in the back now of Mary Lebetter's dwelling here now, and it's, it's pretty overgrown with shrubbery and nettles and briars and bushes. We're in the house here now of Mary Lebetter's, and I have here in my hand a very old seat, with a nice little back toad, and the legs, nice thick sturdy built it was, and well put together. And I would say as here in this house I could, could be belonging to Mary Ledbetter or, or one of the dials. And uh, you can see mostly around the house here where they, had their, where they had their little pantries. Where they had their little pantries and uh, where, they had their little, uh, where they had their little hideouts under the stairs where they used to keep their little knickknacks and probably where the small children used to hide from the father and mother maybe when they be looking for them to give them a thrashing or something but this is where they used to hide maybe, many is the, maybe as many as the rebel hid in it you'd never know but out here now out here now would be uh, out here now would be the old, the old back the old back kitchen part where most of all the old washing up would be done and you can see the hoops there, you can see the hooks there still hanging. Where probably they used to hang up their bits of bacon and things like that. And their little benches there, which is still there. A lot of the old stuff is still there. It's only there there, the people come, come there to look around. There's a pity to see the ruins there. Here, here inside now in the kitchen. The very old fireplace, very old. On the right-hand side of the fireplace is where the old oven was. Them times were a built a built-in oven right beside the fire, where you put in your where you put in your, your cake and baked it and done all your cooking and everything like that. It was not was much the same as the cooker say up, but uh, there was nothing dividing there was nothing dividing the fire and the oven, only a, a little tin wall of brick and. Uh, here they used to do their cooking and baking and everything like that. Well, now, there is another feature about, about these houses. There was always a small little stairs up into the attic. And up in the attic was always all floored in every, one of the, in every one of the Quaker houses in Ballethor. For what reason now, I do not know. But no ma- matter what house you go into, you'll find that little small stairs going up into the attic. From the from the Upstairs.
0: In the main upstairs room, Mary had a window built, a replica of the Romanesque window at Greasebank. At this window, she did most of her writing.
3: That is in the room where she done most of her writings, finished off her annals of Ballytour or cottage dialogues and the peddlers, and most of all her, most of all her writings, poems and everything like that. And also a lot of her writings was done in a little summer house down the garden. And now she entertained a lot of people. And as she entertained the people, the pen was never out of her hand or the pencil. She wrote as she entertained. Having refurbished the new house, Mary and William
0: found it too big for their use alone.
1: My husband, having enlarged our new abode, it was now too large for our own family, and we proposed to Anne Doyle, who was about to join her sister Mary in opening a shop, that they should become our tenants for part of the house. On the 16th of ninth month, 1796, these dear friends came under our roof. The shop, and a front room which served them for a kitchen and parlour, with the pantry and scullery adjoining, and a large bedchamber upstairs, became theirs. We ascend to our chambers by the same staircase. It is but a step from our sitting-room to theirs, and we have this advantage over all our neighbors that no weather can prevent our visits to each other. I esteem it one of my blessings that those excellent young women have been brought so near us, and the unbroken harmony which had ever subsisted between us appears to me a proof that this step was favored by divine approbation. They have proved themselves faithful friends, sympathizing with us in our troubles, and rejoicing in our joys, and... Although they keep no servant, and their own engagements occupy them so much, they contrive often to render me material assistance in my domestic concerns and in the care of my infant family.
0: The room in which she did her writing is still more or less intact. The fireplace is still there, and the door into Mary and Anne Doyle's bedroom.
3: Now we're walking into the the parlour, where the parlour was. This this would have been a flag floor in olden times. And uh, here she would entertain a lot of the people, a lot of the big people. People will say, the Keatons and Iron Moor, all those people, the Bokes over from Boakfield, all those people would call here and visit her. Actually, this part of the village was called a metropolis. I don't know. It's some great name. Of There must have been everything in it, I suppose, as far as it was called, a metropolis, gentle and Women and madams and misses and everything, but as you see here now, (coughs) which is not bad, it's in pretty good shape for the age of it. I suppose it's going back to the very early 70s and 100s again. And the shutters and the windows, casement windows, which is still there. And now we're going in, we're walking into the hall. A little narrow hall, very narrow. Which we walked, we walked straight through, upstairs as we got onto to a small, a small little landing. This was another little feature, they had two or three landings going up to their, going up to their, to their rooms. Up again. Now, this is where most of our writing was done. In this little room here, this is where she used to sit. Now, the view from here, she could see up the town, which is way up to the Atai Road. She could look around to her left and look way back up to the Carla Road, which is right behind her. But she could see she could see what was coming, and she was very well she was very well uh, acquainted with the, what was going on in the town and the comings and goings at the time. Now here also, right up here, is a an in, a, a small little door leading into where uh, Mary and Anne Dial lived, which took over the post office afterwards. Which was great friends of Mary Leveter. She was um she used to talk of them as one one of her dearest friends was the two Dials, And it's here, this this door where we're standing here now. If she was sitting here there now if she was sitting there writing. There'd be nine, ten o'clock at night. She could get up, take it in her head. The dials could be in bed here, and she'd walk walk through the door and in maybe and have a chat with them.
0: But it's the window that dominates the room. You can still sense her presence, sitting there, watching everything.
3: The windows were so low and small at the time that there was only one thing he could do was just peep out. But well, maybe she was, maybe the sort of a woman she was, she liked to stand up, stand back, stretch her back, and look out at the town. Because believe you or me, she was very proud of her little village and everyone was in it.
0: During the rebellion of 1798, Mary watched some horrific events from that window. Frank Taff, a local historian, has made a detailed study of the period.
4: There was a considerable amount of, of military activity in South Kildare um, in 1798 and immediately prior there too, largely stemming from the anxiety which had been aroused in the minds of the loyalists, inhabitants of that area, as a result of an armed raid on a canal boat in Canal Harbour in the high in December 1797. It would appear that that particular raid uh, gave the, uh, put, the rebels approximately 50 or 60 stand of arms which are destined for a great Managh, county carol huminary force. And the uh, arms were spirited off the boat and hidden away for future use by the rebels. And this caused alarm amongst the local Lylas in South Gildare, particularly in the Atai, Casidermith and Balitor areas. And Colonel Campbell, who was the Commandant in charge of the army barracks in Attay, issued instructions to local people that if the arms were not returned within 14 days that he would let the army loose to live at free quarters on the local people.
0: Through the spring of 1798, there was a series of murders in the locality and handbills were posted by night, urging the people to follow the French example.
4: Consequently, the soldiers were set loose, constant raid for arms were being carried out, and uh, soldiers were sent to live at free quarters with the local people and in the Ballytor area particularly you find that the King's County militia from County Othley under the um, captaincy of Captain Sandford Palmer were first initially sent to the Ballytor to live with the local people and to carry out raids for arms etc. Now the stay of the King's County militia in Ballytor was not too offensive for the Ballytor people in so far as their captain, Captain Palmer was an old Ballytor schoolboy, and he apparently had simply for the Quakers in the Ballytor area, and therefore ensured that no offence was caused to them. But uh, the King's County Militia was soon replaced by the Tyrone Militia, who were a group of orange men who lived at free quarters on the Ballytor people, and this consequently caused an awful lot of hardship and an awful lot of suffering for the people, Quakers and other people, dissenters alike, in the Ballytor area. It would appear that a number of the uh, people in, living in Balletor appealed to Colonel Campbell who was in charge of the Italian military barracks to have the soldiers removed but this did not find fa- favour with the Quakers or the Society of Friends in Ballitore, in as it was part of their principles not to apply for armed protection under any circumstances.
0: When the violence came, it came in a flood.
1: Owen Finn, Smith, who had been imprisoned and liberated, felt himself secure because of his late acquittal, and could not be prevailed upon to conceal himself or leave his house. Alas, he was mistaken in expecting that rage reeking with blood would stop to discriminate. Owen was dragged out of his cottage. His pleadings were not listened to. His cottage, where industry had assembled many comforts, was pillaged and then set on fire. His wife ran through the crowd to assure herself of her husband's safety. She beheld his bleeding and dead body. She threw herself with her infant upon the corpse, while those who had wrought her misery assaulted her with abusive language and threatened to kill her also. And I wished, said she, that they would kill me.
0: The local physician, Dr Johnson, had been a member of the Ballytor yeomen but during the rebellion he worked unstintingly to help the wounded on all sides.
1: A short time before the end, a soldier came into our parlour and, with a kind of bitter smile, told me they were going to hang the doctor. I said I hoped not and went up to my children, trembling. One of her servants entered the room and said the doctor was shot. I started up and contradicted her. Just then, the trumpet sounded a retreat. The window near my bedside had for some time caused me a dread which I could not account for, save by having heard of persons being shot through windows. But to this window, I now went mechanically and saw, stretched before it, lying on his back, the friend I had known from childhood, my neighbour, my physician. His arms were extended, there was a large wound in the lower part of his face, and his once graceful form and intelligent countenance were disfigured with more than the horrors of death. I took but one look. I cried aloud, and Andoy led me away. We went to the back apartments. The glass of the windows was hot from the reflection of the burning houses, but I looked on them with a stupid composure. My only thought was... Is my husband safe? Had not our dwellings and offices been slated, we should have been probably houseless, for the unchecked flames rose in dreadful spires, and the crash of falling roofs caused a terrific sound. The morning was balmy, beautiful and mild. Bounteous nature smiled sweetly upon us, rich with the treasures of a benign creator.
3: There
0: were other atrocities.
3: It has said, one poor unfortunate, one on the night of the rebellion, run in and seek sanctuary here in the graveyard. But a couple of soldiers passing by with a quick glance in, copped him and shot him dead in the corner. Now I'm sure there was a few more as well. And also there was a little boy, who the time of the rebellion as well. He was burnt in a barrel in Ballythor. The barrel was set afire and the boy was in it hiding and he was burnt.
0: Wealth was no protection.
1: Late one evening, as we leaned over the bridge, we saw a gentleman and lady watering their horses at the river, attended by servants fully armed. They wore mourning habits and, though young and newly married, looked very serious and sorrowful. Their chastened appearance, their armed servants, the stillness of the air scarcely broken by a sound, rendered the scene very impressive. We very rarely saw any of the gentry. When we did, they were generally dressed in deep black, for what family had not lost a member? Mourning was the language. Mourning was the dress of the country.
0: During the violence of that spring and summer, Mary had moved her widowed mother, who was now senile, out of the retreat and into her own home. In the early autumn of 1798, she recorded a visit to the house.
1: I went one afternoon to the retreat. The house was locked, and the family who took care of it had gone out. I entered at the window. The withered leaves entered with me, and the winds whistled through the empty rooms, once the warm nests of domestic delights... I went into the garden. The autumnal blasts had strewn it with leaves, which mournfully rustled under my feet, for no hand, as formerly, had swept them away.
0: The rebellion fizzled out, but there was still sporadic violence through the autumn and winter, even as the villagers tried to get back to some kind of normality.
1: A general rebuilding of the ruined houses now took place, but even this work was in a great measure carried on by plunder. The stately trees of Ballytor were often missed in the morning, and we could hear at night the sound of their being felled and the creaking of the cars which took them away. Desolation threatened in various shapes. The darkness of the winter nights was illuminated by the fires of the houses burnt by the insurgents, and fatal was their vengeance. One man whom they thought they had killed and had thrown into a ditch, pulling down part of the bank upon him, was not fatally injured, struggled out of his grave, ran naked to Boltinglass, and convicted his intended murderers. A large burial moved through Ballytor with a kind of indignant solemnity. It was that of a young man who had been hanged and whose father, on his son's being apprehended, put an end to his own life. Such were the tragedies with which we were surrounded and with which we had grown shockingly familiar.
0: As if the suffering of 1798 hadn't been enough, there was more to come in 1799, the death of Mary's infant daughter, Jane.
1: Thus were we circumstanced when a sore domestic calamity seemed to fill up the measure of our sufferings. We thought we had a little respite from our foes, "'and we were once more assembled in peace "'around Mary and Anne's fireside "'when our dear little Jane was trusted by me "'with a wax taper to go upstairs alone. "'The staircase was short "'and her grandmother was in her own room with her attendant. "'I was not used to be so incautious "'and the thought crossed my mind, "'Is it safe?' "'A distinct voice seemed to reply, "'The child is so steady.' and all recollection of her left me till I heard her shrieks. Then the truth flashed upon me, and I accused myself of having murdered my child. She had gone into another room than her grandmother's and had laid down the taper. It caught her clothes, and the flames were not easily extinguished. A kind of convulsion stiffened her for a moment. The burns, though extensive, were but skin-deep, "'and those around us assured us she was in no danger. "'Alas, we were not aware that the fright she got "'had stopped the circulation of the blood. "'Oh, why were we not aware of it? "'Let this be remembered by others, "'and may no one else experience the distress caused by our error.' "'The dear child soon ceased to complain of pain, "'kissed all those about her, and was cheerful.' yet all night was thirsty, wakeful, and cold, with but little pulse. In the morning her whole form and sweet countenance underwent a momentary revolution which I cannot describe. We had sent to a for a doctor, but he said nothing could be done. Meantime, unconscious that she was leaving us, the dear innocent got her book and her work into her bed and repeated her little verses, spoke with her usual courtesy to all around her, and, happy in her short life, closed her eyes, never more to open them, just twenty-four hours after the accident happened. We who had lost her darling child of four years old felt deeply the deprivation, and struggled hard to submit to the will of him who gives and takes away.
0: The pain and death, the reek of smoke, the hopelessness of people about her, even the tragedies in her own life, never seemed to have totally depressed Mary. But there were times when she needed to escape to Nine Tree Hill overlooking the village.
3: And the Nine Tree Hill which I'm looking at now, the great headman Burke often talked about the, 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 talked about the Nine Tree Hill. He would go away in the evening after school with some of his buddies, And the first place he'd head to was the Ninthree Hill. And he'd sit up there, viewing the Wicklow Mountains, Lugna Cullia, Dunlavin, all the the scenery was to be seen from the Ninthree Hill. Even Mary Ledbetter herself. At one time, Edmund Burke came back from England to visit Ballytor, and she was missing. And she didn't know a thing. She was walking up around the Ninthree Hill, near the Ninthree Hill, and she heard a voice which she thought she knew and she looked behind and here it was Edmund Buck.
0: More often, escape was to the summer house at the bottom of her garden on the bank of the River Grease.
3: Now down here in the corner, this these is all done with orchards. Most of, they, were, they had a thing about orchards, orchards as well, and groves. But now, this was so peaceful, nothing to be heard only the birds singing and the pigeon's cone and the grease flowing maybe that's why she mentioned in her, in her, a lot of her writings about the grease but in here, in this corner is the remains of the old summer house where I believe she's done a lot of her writing, which is nearly done, I can see bits of it there's only bits of walls of it standing now but the last time I saw this three or four years ago there was a bit of a framework of a roof over it. But anyone would want to do writing, or had any love for writing, couldn't pick a nicer place than here.
1: I did not say in the right place how spring, though remarkably late this year, at length clothed the face of nature in more than wonted beauty. But, alas, it could not bring to our minds the sensations of gladness which it had formerly conveyed. Our hearts dwelt on the recollection that our slaughtered neighbours, our murdered friend and our departed child had been enjoying life and health with us when last the fields were green.
0: By the middle of 1799, life had returned to some kind of normality. Life for Mary and the rest of the Quaker community
3: revolved around the meeting house. And now as I walk along here... Is another bit of superstition, as they say, as a little stream called the Runner, and the Runner, they say, the Quakers always said couldn't be, couldn't be crossed after midnight. If they were the other side of the, if they were the other side of the village, and had to cross the the Runner, they wouldn't cross it, because they said when they were crossing the Runner, this a trembling came over them. And even when any of the Quakers would be dying, they would sense it. Because when one Quaker was dying, I think it was Abraham Shackleton, at a meeting one night, the candles went out in the meeting house. And that denoted there was one of the friends passing away. And the grove which was stood behind it, their uh, spirits was supposed to fly through at night. And it is a very quiet here around the meeting house. Very quiet and peaceful.
0: If hurt could be healed and peace regained, it was in the meeting house. And it was there that Mary's niece, Lydia Shackleton, married the schoolmaster, James White.
1: This year, 1806, was memorable by the marriage of James White to our Lydia Shackleton. They were married the 14th of the ninth month. James became tenant for the old schoolhouse and adjoining land, and my heart swelled with a double satisfaction on the union of my amiable and lovely niece with so worthy and accomplished a person, and on the prospect of the reopening of Ballytor School. In 1807 I saw the school revived, My wish was accomplished. Strange perversity. Why was I sad?
0: It was from the same meeting-house that Lydia's funeral moved off a short time later.
1: Deep woe awaited us. This spring our darling Lydia White died in the twenty-fifth year of her age. But he who ordained this trial graciously supported us under it. There is no other support. Vain is the help of man, And that we have a sure comforter in the day of trouble must not be forgotten when our prospects are fair. Else how can we look up with confidence? Our sweet Lydia was gone. The soft verdure of spring was spread over her grave and the moon shone brightly upon it.
0: Marriages, meetings, burials. The essential events of Quaker life were centred on that plain stone building.
3: Now... We're entering now into the, into the meeting house itself, which is very dark, very quiet, but looking out to the top window of this room I can look across the River Grease and right in the centre there lies the remains of Mary Ledbetter a grave woman, now she in her writings, she wrote a lot about the graveyard and of the people that was carried up that green lane to the the graveyard, let it be winter time or summer time or what it be, she spoke of them, so there she lies herself.
0: In the early years of the 19th century, Mary had several books of verse published. It hardly rates as great poetry, but it was popular. Meantime, she helped the poor, raised her own family, encouraged small industry, wrote her cottage dialogues and cottage biography, and in them caught the lives of her neighbours. People were seen to their graves, babies welcomed into the world, and even while her health deteriorated in the early 1820s, she sat at the high window and watched and jotted notes in her diary, until by 1824... She could write no more.
1: My mind reverted to matters of ancient date. I thought I knew the identical spot in the parlor where I made the joyful discovery that I could read. I recollected my sensations of fear when, for the first time, descending the remarkably easy staircase. The sash door opening into the garden, the wall-like hedge, the ancient yews and hollies, the tall trees beyond the garden... The arch over the gate which entered it all brought back the scenes of early childhood.
0: Mary Ledbetter died in 1826. They carried her body to the meeting house, across the square, over the runner, past the quiet grove. From there it was taken over the bridge on the grease, up towards the high road and down the green lane to the friend's burial ground. It was late June, high summer. I imagine if the mourners, and there were thousands of them, had glanced up, they'd have seen a shadow in the high Romanesque window of her house, watching, noting who was there, jotting in a diary.
3: Now we're here at the Quaker burial ground at uh, Ballytor, which uh, is on the, uh, it's, it's on the hill overlooking the village. And there's rows of stones here belonging to different families. So this, this is where she spoke about where she come with all the all the, fu- all the funerals she attended here and she spoke about it. On the winter's night she came up here, winter's evenings, when very cold evenings, laid some of her friends to rest in along the cold, wintry lane from the road she walked along with many more of them. The Quaker burial ground is surrounded by a
0: high wall. It cuts out the sound of the passing lorries. In spring, The grass is full of primroses and wooden enemies. In winter, even the stark trees are never bleak. Billy Kelly looks after the grave. He knows better than anyone that Mary Ledbetter never forgot her neighbours. He's returning the deeds done a long time ago.
3: From the first time I ever started reading about Mary Ledbetter, although the woman is dead, long many years before I was born, I fell in love with her writings and I still think if she was alive today I would be very much attached to her because I think she was a wonderful woman in her writings, in what she done for the people of Ballytor and even as far as Balabarney and up to Naramore and all around I think she can be remembered by the people of Ballytor as a very good person and to me Mary Lepeter, I think she was a, she was a master in her own way, and with one final note, writings and her ring and all she done, and being a master, I think she was a master of the arts.